and girls, if y'all want to head downstairs, I know Mr. Josh and that crew's got some stuff ready for you while they're heading downstairs. Won't you, if you have a Bible or if you're following along the Bible, we're still in um, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, but we're actually not looking at Ezra and Nehemiah today. I'm taking a little bit of a detour, all right, so you got to prepare yourself. Uh, how many of you have ever heard a sermon that you can remember out of the book of Haggai? How many of you know where the book of Haggai is? All right, now we see who read when I sent the text in church out and who didn't, okay? So Haggai is one of the minor prophets. Now, we've spent the last several weeks in the Old Testament looking at the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and this story of God bringing his people back home. But I want to kind of just say this as just kind of a point of reference. You know, when we, when we look at the Old Testament, okay, some people and will say, hey, look, man, there's a lot of things in there. And I'm going to tell you what, there are some things in there that can be challenging and problematic. And we have to remember that God is working in the lives of people who are broken and especially who are trying to figure out what he wants to do. Sometimes they get a little off track. And ultimately, this is the reason that we see redemption story come to fruition ultimately in who? Jesus Christ, who is really the fulfillment of what God is doing. And so, you know, but, but we still want to look back at how God has worked throughout the history of people because there's lots of things we can learn. And the story of God bringing his people back home is really a universal story. Everybody, in some sense, needs to understand that there are times in life when God's trying to bring us back home. Home being the place where we're in service to Him, in service to Christ. And so we, we have this story, and I've got just a real quick background, but it's when they were in exile in Jerusalem. Now, some of you are wondering, why does He keep repeating this? You know why? Because repetition is the best teacher. And y'all let me down a few weeks ago when I asked for a show of hands who remembered stuff, and I was I, I, my teaching skills kind of went to pot whenever I saw that. But I know it was just because y'all were shy. Y'all really all knew the answer, right? But this story of three men, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and then Nehemiah, who lead these waves, which is the way it works in the world. Look, everything that happens happens because someone takes the lead. So nothing happens in your family if someone doesn't take the lead at your job, in this church, in wherever. Because people are what make things happen in the world. I mean, God's, the power and his sovereignty is behind it, but people matter. And so we know through our last several weeks that God is using these people. Well, in the story, you're going to have to go back two weeks. And the reason I'm detouring here is because I really feel like there's a message here today. And I don't always... I'm just being honest. I don't always feel this way. I always feel that God wants to speak through his word. That's just a general universal principle. Sometimes I feel like there's a message in something in particular where God redirects me and says, you need to share this. And that's how I feel about this today in Haggai. Haggai was one of the prophets who prophesied and told a message specifically to Zerubbabel, you remember in the story, whenever um, Zerubbabel came under Cyrus, and then when they got there, they got some animosity, and they got some opposition, and they got discouraged, and they stopped what they had originally meant to do. Well, then God speaks through a couple of prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, but specifically Haggai today, and uses him to intervene in the moment. And I think this is very appropriate in our lives. Have you ever kind of got started in something 
got moving in a certain direction, felt like God was leading you to do something, to be a part of something. Maybe it was your initial commitment to Christ. Maybe it's, it's in this particular role. And then maybe it's like you hit a wall, kind of hit a roadblock, got a detour, didn't end up where you needed to be. And so, so we've all experienced that. And so did the children of Israel. But Haggai was sent at a moment in time with a message that I believe we can learn something from today. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, I'm not going to ask you to stand today. I'm just going to read very quickly this first part. This is the first message. Now, Haggai only is two chapters. So you, if you read the first two chapters like I sent out, guess what? You get a star for Sunday school. You get a gold star. You read a whole book of the Bible today. All right. If you didn't, you can still go do it. All right. We're going to read a good bit of it here. It's not very long. All right. So on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to such and such the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruin? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what happened to, that's what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down the timber, rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So this is a very powerful message that he gives, and it's not popular, all right? So put this in context. Zerubbabel has left Persia. You remember in the story, he was given money, and he was given letters, and he was given these resources. Matter of fact, the people, the exiles who were in Persia took up a big offering. Remember all the gold and all the stuff, and they, they sent it with them all for the purpose of going back and rebuilding the temple. Because remember, it's a, it's a different age. It's a different era. Today, in a, since Christ, God's temple is what? It's us. But there was a literal temple back then, and this is just the way the world was. All right. So basically, they are sent there to do what? To do this task, to serve God. That's their goal. That's what they're supposed to be doing. When they get there, what happens? What does it say right here? People are saying what? The time, it's just not time. You think people still say, I don't have time? How many people, Todd, say, I just don't have time for God right now? It's just not the right time. I got too much going on. That's the next one. Look, they're too busy doing what? Build, now, here's the interesting thing. Building their own house. Now, so understand why the prophet is prophesying here. They've left Persia. They've come all this way. Remember, this is hundreds of miles. This is a big-time deal. God has worked to get them there, but when they get there, they let the busyness and all the things that's going on, and you can only imagine what they were saying. Well, before we get to God's business, we've got to take care of our business. They started building their own houses. And now we can surmise from this text that probably what happened is they got over there, they realized it was a lot easier to do what? Just kind of fit in. I mean, instead of go there with what they were supposed to be doing, they started building their own houses. They started integrating into the society and building their own businesses. And then and God's like, whoa, wait a minute now. That wasn't part of the deal, right? And here's the thing. You need to understand, God is the one who sets the terms of the deal. It's his world. 
He he sent them over there with a purpose, with a mission. He empowered them. He equipped them. He gave them what they needed, the resources necessary. But when they got there, what did they do? They got got too busy, didn't have enough time working on their own stuff. Let me ask you this, because this is what I've been thinking a lot about. You know, the terms of his deal really kind of are universal. So, So the deal God has given us is, look, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you get baptized in the water. You know, it's symbolic. You're buried with Christ, but that burial is like literally where you're dying to yourself. And you're, you're getting to be raised to a new life, and he's taking the punishment and the sins for your old life. Man, I think sometimes we kind of like them, aren't we? Like we want, we want the new life, heaven, but we don't want what's required of the new life, which is to what? Obey, follow, live for him. This is, this is human nature, so I don't think it's just you. This has been happening from the beginning. I mean, everybody wants forgiveness. Everybody wants God, but guess what? In our sinful selves, we want to do what? We want what we want. But God sends people along the way. He sent Haggai. He sent the scriptures through people and the Holy Spirit. He sent your parents. He sends people in your life to tell you what? That ain't a good plan. What was God's message through Haggai? Really the same one that he wants for us today. And it's very simple. I just, I just kind of dumbed it down to, to my language, okay? Some of you are smarter than me, but look right. Basically, this is the message. First one, quit making excuses. Stop being selfish and start doing what I've called you to do. Like, you don't have to get over-religious about it. Like, literally, thousands of years ago, God does some kind of thing with a crazy prophet in a different time and a different world, but that's basically the message. Quit making excuses. You're going to always be too busy. You're going to always not find time. There's going to always be reasons why you shouldn't or you don't do what you're supposed to do. Look, but ultimately just stop being selfish, which is what we do, right? We're selfish with our time. We're selfish with our energy, and we can come up with all sorts of ways to justify it. Every one of us. Well, now, I'm not talking about become a Pharisee. No, we're not talking about that. You know when the motivation is right. Stop being selfish and just do what he's called you to do. That's literally what Haggai was saying, because they had decided, well, it was too much trouble. Because what? What did they have to go do to build the temple? They had to actually go up there. They had to cut the timber. They had to do that, and no, nobody was happy about it. Certainly not the people in the area were happy about it. People were resisting. We know that. But yet, God sends a messenger and says, look, it's time to quit making excuses, guys. It's time to stop being selfish, and let's just go ahead and get going on what I've called you to do. Now, all people from all time need to hear that message, every single one of us. How did they respond to this message? And this is important. Probably one of the reasons that this whole story is recorded. Because this is a win. You know, sometimes we learn from people's poor decisions and how they shouldn't do things. But this time we get to see some things that they do that's good. How did they respond? It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of such Shethiel, I'm not going to read all the names, and the whole remnant of God's people, listen, began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, 
the people feared the Lord, and they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. And if you rewind back to Ezra in the book, that's what happened. So literally, they got all, they came there, big win. Now this is so important because I want you to grasp the process. Life is not simple. It's not even really linear. It's all over the map, okay? So they were in Persia. God moved, literally moved upon them. They were very excited. They left everything, okay, like to leave where you are and to make tremendous sacrifice. That's, that, that shows that at some point in their life they were very motivated to serve God. They go through a season, they get to Jerusalem, and guess what happens? They get comfortable. They get off track. They get misdirected. Look, that's the way it is with us as human beings. You aren't going to just set a course and stay on track. It's, this just doesn't work that way. There's resistance and there's, there's a... It's like gravity, okay? Gravity is pulling everything down to the earth. Well, guess what? The brokenness and sinfulness of this world that it's even wrapped up in your nature is doing what? It's pulling you away from what God wants you to do. You've got to resist it. You've got to... Set your mind, renew your mind, all those things. And so what happens is they, they fell victim. Even Zerubbabel, the leader, the hero. But then what happens? God rises up a prophet. The prophet comes in. He gives them the message. And in this instance, what do they do? They listen. It starts with the fear of the Lord. You know, the Bible says that fear of the Lord, I'm not talking about coward fright. I'm talking about reverence. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Do you rev have reverent fear for God? They did. And they obeyed the message. They realized, okay, it's time to quit making excuses. Time to stop being selfish, and now I've got to get going on this. And as a result, they began to work, and really, some good things happened. And we noticed, if remember now, this was in the story in Ezra and Nehemiah, where what happens? The context is, that's whenever Zerubbabel rallies everybody, and they say, even though this letter came, and you remember what happened? That was how Ezra ends up, and the letter comes back from Artaxerxes that does what? That actually gives them more of what they thought they were going to get. Again, that's how God works, all right? When you follow his program, look, you can't lose. He designed the deal, and he has your best interest at heart. So then we see in chapter 1, verse 13, a second message from the prophet, all right? So I'm going to read this to you in verse 13. And this is very important because on one level, it's, it's okay, quit making excuses, stop being selfish, and get to work, all right? And this is a reality. But it's really bigger than that, okay? I mean, who wants to just do that? So, so then Haggai gives this message. says, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. And what, what is this message really saying? It's something we need to hear today. Don't just serve God out of duty or obligation. Man, serve him with enthusiasm. Look, absolutely, there are times whenever you've got to quit making excuses, you've got to stop being selfish, and you've got to get up and start doing it. If you have children, you know that. There's sometimes you've got to tell them. Get out of bed, 
quit being lazy. It's time to get going. But look, you don't want them to mully grub and do that all day long in the task, do you? No, you want them to, to get enthusiastic about doing what they need to do. So hopefully there's something bigger. Hey, if you do this, guess what? When we're going to go do that? Well, guess what? God sends this message and says, hey, look, don't feel like you have to. Feel like you get to. You hear me, you hear me say this a lot. Get a got, get to mentality instead of a got to. Look, obligation and duty is very important. And there will be times in your life when you will have to fall back to duty. You're going to have to do it because it's right. You're not going to feel it. That's just a fact. That's just the way life works. Here's the problem with a lot of people is they get off track and they think when it comes to stuff that's most important, they don't do that. But they do it in other things. Like I hear people, Todd and I, we share this, and I shared this with my Wednesday Bible study. I've had parents tell me, well, uh, man, I wish I could get little Johnny, little Susie to come to church and learn the Bible. Okay, well, do you bring them? Well, they don't feel like going. They don't want to go. They got this. My answer always is, well, do they, like to, do they feel like brushing their teeth every night? They feel like getting in the bed at 8, 30, 9 o'clock when you want them to? Do they feel like getting up and going to school every day? No. But you make them do it, don't you? Why do you do that? Because it, you know that's an obligation that's going to lead them. Well, guess what? Do you feel like getting up and go to work every day? Now, I know some of you are Johnny on the spot. I don't. Look, there's some days I don't feel like, man, I get to go to work and I get to impact and I get to do. No, I don't always do that, but I do it what? Because I'm obligated. It's my duty to get up and go take care of what I need to do. Well, guess what? Sometimes our Christian walks like that as well. We just got to man up, woman up, and just fulfill our treat people right. Go where we're supposed to go. Don't do what we shouldn't do. And look, it's hard. But it isn't always like that. It shouldn't always be like that, just like at your work or in your family or whatever. We're shooting to get what? To where it's, a, it's a, an enthusiasm. And notice where the enthusiasm comes from. It's what we tell ourselves. Why should we be enthusiastic about serving God? Well, guess what? He's with us. You realize whatever he's called you to do in your life, which is completely different for each of us, he's not just saying you go do it. He's saying what? I'm going to go do it with you. I'm there with you. Look, how many of our kids begrudge when we tell them they have to do something? But then it's all different when we say what? Let's go do it together. What if you and I thought about that, these things that God wants us to do, to be a good worker. What if we didn't feel like we had to, but we felt like God was going to go with us to become the best worker we could be? To be the best friend, to be the best husband, the best wife, the best teenager, the best child, the best worship leader, the best pastor, the best Sunday school teacher. What if you thought, man, this isn't just my duty, this is my privilege, and God's going to go with me to do this? Man, it'll change a lot of stuff. And notice what happens? The Lord sparks the enthusiasm. Do you find yourself with a lack of enthusiasm to serve God? Do you find yourself in your life with a lack of enthusiasm? Have you prayed for God to spark the enthusiasm? Or do you just think about the negative? Think about the situation, how things aren't going the way you'd want. Look, if you start out of duty because of what he's done 
invariably, you know what happens? He begins to work and begins to spark the enthusiasm. It's whenever you get enthusiastic about it, notice what happened there. Zerubbabel's enthusiasm was sparked, and then did what did it do? It passed on to Yeshua, and then it passed on to everybody. In the Wednesday Bible study, I don't know how many of you, you are probably a little bit older to remember this song, but one of the songs that I used to love when I was a teenager, a young teenager, back then we used to do these retreats, and we'd go out to these little campfire things, and there was a song called Pass It On. Any of you remember that song? It said, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and then soon all those around can warm up in its glowing. See, that's how enthusiasm works. It only takes a spark. Like, if you get enthusiastic about serving God, guess what's going to happen? It's going to spark to somebody else. But guess what? The, same, the opposite of that is true. If you throw cold water on a spark, what happens to it? It's going out. Let me ask you this. Are you, are you like a flint sparking enthusiasm for God, or are you like a cup of water throwing it on everybody else? You've got to be careful. Because sometimes that's what the Bible says literally quench the spirit. The spirit's trying to spark enthusiasm, energy, excitement, healing, hope, help, all these things. And what if we unknowingly, not even with the right not even intentionally, are just throwing water on that by our by whatever we're doing or not doing. We gotta be careful. Man, look, we need to approach our life each day. And it's very difficult because our lives are hectic and they're chaotic, but we should want to spark enthusiasm. Now, the third message, I'm going to read this quickly. I'm going to have to move fast, all right? Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, get another uh, message. It says, then on October 17th, so all we're talking about is a few months later, that same year, the Lord sent another message to the prophet Haggai. It says, say this to Zerubbabel, all that group, to the whole remnant. He says, does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. You remember that? That whenever they had that big service and there were those who were looking back and they were going, this isn't anything compared to what was. Now look, this is another universal thing that we all have to struggle with. How many of us have heard that, we all, that people fear change? People all fear change. Some people in these certain studies... They, they fear change, and pub, change, number one, and they fear public speaking. They don't like change. Well, guess what? God was sending a message to a particular group of people here who, when they saw what he was doing, rebuilding it, instead of embracing what was going on now, they were being negative because they didn't like what was going on now based on what they believed was happening in the past, which we all do that, right? My grandmother used to tell me all the time about, you know, and I would talk about the good old days. How many of you ever look fondly and you think about the good old days? We all do that. Man, I, I think about, you know, the old, you know, I think of when I see certain movies and I see certain things happen and I hear certain songs, they transport me back to what in my mind are the good old days. And there were some really good things about the old days in some ways. But, you know, my grandmother always used to say, don't get lost there, son. There wasn't everything wasn't always good in the old days. You just remember a lot of the good ones. And here's the point, really, that God is speaking to this people through Haggai. Look, don't focus on the past. Remember it. Look, there wasn't a people who remembered the past more than the Jews. 
Look, they could give you their lineage all the way back hundreds, hundreds, all right? But he's saying, hey, don't focus on the past. Because if you focus on the past, it'll paralyze you where? In the present and the future. So don't focus on it. Learn from it. Remember it. But don't focus on it and say, oh, that's what it, was, what it, what it used to be like. Because guess what? There are things that it used to be better. I mean, all of us, if, I mean, look, there, there's so many things that I could tell you, even in my own life, that are so much better about how things were when I was a kid. Wasn't, you know, people weren't worried about the, a lot of the nonsense that's going on today. People had better attitudes about certain things, different things. But guess what? There are certain things that are way better today than they were back then, and that's all gone. Don't focus on that. Be strong in the present. Look what he keeps saying in verse be strong all you people be strong be strong and get to work be strong now don't focus on the past be strong in the present you want to go with God focus on being strong today how can you and I be strong for God today what can we learn from the past but not get caught looking in the rearview mirror because all the driving's happening where? In the front. Now, here's the deal. When you're driving, you know, you, you, you can keep things in the rearview mirror so you don't get run over and all these other things. So there's nothing wrong. It's just don't focus on it. Be strong in the present. And the last thing, which is always incorporated in God's message, is he promises them that I got the future. That's how you're strong in the present. If you trust his promise to hold the future. You know how many people have anxiety and stress because they just don't trust God's promise for the future? They're worried about what might happen. I mean, think about this. If God's got you and you trust God, what could possibly happen in the future that would keep you from being strong in the present? Nothing. And you'd have to figure out some, most of our problems in the present and the future, guess what? They come from our poor decisions in the past. So we've got to focus on the present, start righting the wrongs, and keep trusting his promise. The fourth message he gives in chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, I don't have time to read it, but he basically tells a story. Go to that screen if you want to read it, you can. He, he basically tells a little story about this thing about ceremonial unclean, and, and some stuff like that. But here's what he's really trying to tell them and translate to us. Go to that next slide. What was God's message in this little passage? First, how we do things matter. Secondly, when we do things matter. Thirdly, why we do things matters. Because anytime we start doing things for God, you know, how we do things does matter. You don't just get to do it your own way. You got to do it his way. You don't just get to do it when you want to do it. you got to do it when he wants you to do it. And ultimately, the motivation needs to be right. Why are you doing what you're doing? See, what specifically had happened is there were some people who were riding the flow of what God was doing, but their heart wasn't right. And that's why the prophet says everything they do and everything they offer is what? Defiled by their sin. There's two things that I want you to take away from this. Number one is not everybody is rowing in the same direction. Not everybody wants to see God's plan prevail. Don't judge them. Because guess what? 
there's some points in your life when that's you and that's me. So pray for them. You know, try to encourage them. But don't get lost thinking that everything that they're saying and doing is perfect and right just like you aren't. But the other thing it does to us is it causes us to do what the Apostle Paul says, to examine our own self. What is my motivation? How am I doing my walk for God? How am I? Why am I? When am I? So this is very, very important. And finally, the last one, and we close with this. The fifth message in chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, on that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. I tell that group, I'm not going to read the whole thing, that I will overthrow, or I'm about to shake up the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I've chosen you, I, the Lord of heaven's armies. What was God's message in this last prophetic utterance? Very simple. I'm in charge. What do you say? I'm fixing to shake it up. Listen, God has always demonstrated that he's in charge. No matter who, no matter when, no matter where, human beings create systems. They create hierarchies and they create structures to explain and understand everything. And periodically throughout history, what ends up happening? God has to shake it up and says, hey, I'm in charge. The second thing he says is that nothing can stop us. Hey, he says Zerubbabel. I know that, that they seem, remember, because in context, this is the other provincial governors who are stopping them. He says, I'm going to shake this thing up. And then you realize it actually comes true because then the next king of Persia does what? He sends that letter back and is, this is the one where he says, okay, not only now do y'all not stop them, y'all actually got to help them. So, so they learn nothing can stop you. And then he also, before it happens, tells them, when this does happen, I'm going to honor you. And what we can learn from that is if we honor him, guess what? Or if we serve him, he honors us. Over and over, if you go through all of that, there's a principle that emerges. If I honor God, and I serve him, guess what he does? He honors me. And if you really think about it, that's so integral into the way life works, right? The principle of reaping and sowing, cause and effect. I mean, this is just the way it works. If you take care of God's business, guess what? He takes care of your business. How does he do it? All sorts of different ways. You can't always explain it. Usually it may come in different kind of ways, in different manners, different times. But over and over and over. And I've said this before, but I don't think there's really any better panoramic example of that than the fact that the Jewish people today, they still exist. I mean, think about that. Like, this is an obscure little group of people in the entire scope of human history. And yet, they still are in existence, and they still have prominence, and they still have influence. When every single other, everyone, every civilization, 
every people group, everything has fallen at the dust of history. Yet there's this little odd group of people, the Jewish people, who are still in existence, still prominent, still the beneficiaries of being chosen, and basically, in some ways, recipients of God's favor. And then, of course, what happens through that? Concurrently, we've become recipients. Because the Bible tells us what? Is that in Christ, God makes everyone an opportunity to be chosen. And if we trust Him, if we serve Him, guess what? He's going to honor us. Two questions and we're done today. First one, what is God trying to tell me today? I mean, this message was written 2,000 years ago. Lots of different things. In that group of people, you got Zerubbabel, Joshua, a whole remnant, all these people. God was telling each of them something maybe a little bit different. But, I mean, truthfully, what does that matter? Other than what we can learn. What is God trying to tell me today through his word? Secondly, probably more important than that, right? I mean, that is important. But what am I going to do? If you really feel God speaking to you and telling you one little thing from this message, what are you going to do? The, the spectrum's wide open. Let it go in one ear and out the other. Uh, think about it. Don't do anything. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Look, the real proper response to God's message is this, the same one they had. Fear the Lord, and by fear of the Lord, it's not be scared of him. It's defer to him. Honor him. Say, so you know what? I'm going to surrender. Basically just meaning that you're above me, God. And so if you're telling me this, I'm going to place myself under your authority. So fear him. Then obey the message and get to work. I hope and pray that whatever it is that he's speaking to you, which it, there's no telling what it could be. I mean, really, I mean, there's so many things that I have jotted down in my own notebook that he's speaking to me. And I'm going to try to work on these. And I want to encourage you to try to work on those as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, even in this moment, that you speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear your message clearly. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit, his presence would illuminate minds today, that their hearts and the spirits of each person who's here, including myself, would be open to your message. And then I pray, God, that you would give us the strength of character and the strength of your Holy Spirit to help us obey and to start doing whatever it is you've asked us to do. We need your help. Others need our help. We pray for enthusiasm and energy and excitement as we accomplish your mission in the world, knowing that you have our best interest at heart and that you want to see us not only succeed in this life, but in the life to come through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.